As the over a third team, we would like to begin today's podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land in which we are recording today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We would like to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who have shaped and contributed to netball over the decades, particularly in this week where we recognise the Indigenous contribution to the sport across the round. and welcome back to another episode of the over a third podcast the edge of the crowds netball podcast as always i'm your host dan and back after two weeks away and replacing steph in the hot seat ariana how are you it's nice to be back and honestly those two weeks have gone past very fast and um as much as i love being on the podcast i am very grateful to have just a little bit of a break but Speaking of sort of coming back to things, I recently attended a netball game as not in the media desk, not with the camera, just as a regular viewer. And that was really nice because that was only my second ever. And I know we haven't got you, me and Steph in the same room, but I understand that you and Steph were in the same room at the netball. <laughs> yes, um, a very different price differential with the seats. <laughs> Steph in her um very close seat to me up in the up in the nosebleeds, waving at Steph, and then um she scared me really, really, really good. I sort of misjudged where um her exit would be, and <laughs> as I'm going to get some water, here comes this very tall lady. <laughs> what are you doing? And I thought I was gonna die. 22-year-old woman, dead at the netball. <laughs> Scared by her older and taller podcast yeah. teammate. Yeah. Well, it was um, an interesting round of netball, and um, we did get to three of the four games um, between us, so that was pretty cool. But we might start away from the court because there has been plenty that's happened in the last week and a bit. Um, and since just before... We recorded last week, um, Collingwood announced that the Super Netball uh, program was under review and they'd be deciding whether to continue with their license going forward. Um, we sit here recording on Wednesday night. We don't yet have an outcome to that report, but there is a fear of mine that we'll have an outcome between now and this episode dropping or shortly after this episode drops and a lot of this will become either relevant or irrelevant, but what we know as we sit in record is that Collingwood are considering their program. There are whispers that it has uh, hemorrhaged money. That was the word used across a couple of the code sports re reports last week from Linda Pierce, who had a phenomenal week of reporting just quietly. Um, I do not think hemorrhaging money is probably a lie. If anyone's been to a Collingwood home game and a Vixens home game, the ground trust, we've talked about this, is immense and I can see how they may not be making any money. Yeah, I, th I think that's definitely the case, but I also think that, you know, some of the numbers that I've heard have been bandied about don't sound that crazy in terms of what I would expect a Super Netball team to cost to run. 
Um, I think, you know, just in a broad sense, it probably costs close to $2 million to run a super netball team for a year. By the time you pay your players, your staff, venue hire and, and everything else, it probably costs two, two and a bit million dollars. Which that's, is when comparatively not that much. Well, essentially that's the going rate for running a super netball team. And if you're making massive losses on that, that means that your revenue is probably no, no more than sort of low to mid six figures from what we've heard. And that would shock me because that's a really poor return on membership. That's a really poor return on gate revenue. Um, and I know that there are fingers being pointed at Netball Victoria, Netball Australia in terms of how they have hamstrung the pie's efforts to get into the grassroots. And I think it's probably fair that those fingers are pointed based on what I've heard. Um, it does sound like Netball Victoria have not made really more than a couple of ounces of effort to get Collingwood integrated, but also this is the biggest football club in the country. It's the biggest sporting brand in the country. It just turned over a $7 million profit and uh, women's sport is on the rise. And if you can't work out how to run a business successfully in women's sport, I don't think you're trying all the right things because it's definitely the tide is turning and, and netball is not by any means a profitable enterprise in this country. Um, but if you're only making a few hundred grand back a year, that would be probably a disappointing return. What it does mean though, um, is that there is a chance and depending on how you read the statements, a strong chance that Collingwood doesn't continue to have a super netball team in 2024. We've heard in the time since that uh, Geelong Netball Club is not ready to have a team in 2024, so they're not going to be putting up their hand for a license if one was to theoretically become available. Uh, the same for the Gold Coast Titans. Both of those teams have expressed an interest in the long run, but right now they haven't. Um, Netball Tasmania has come out and said, we're ready, we can do it. I hold reservations that they are ready because I think that it's a bigger enterprise than anyone realizes um, how to set up a team. And talking to some people out there, um, it's a very tight timeline to get organized because essentially you'd want the eighth team to sign the CPA and the Players Association want the CPA done on the 24th of June before finals, which is exactly one month from the date of recording. And we don't have a decision yet whether they want in or not. If they don't want in, Netball Australia will have to go out, decide who wants the license, award it to them. Then that team has to set up a coach, a netball department, and enough of an organization to sign the CPA and start recruiting players. To do that in three months is a massive task. To do that in three weeks is somewhere between almost impossible and actually impossible. And I think it's just going to be a question of how they handle those timeframes because I don't think they're feasible. But it will be interesting to see. In the meantime, Collingwood do have to play out the string of this competition. They do have uh, three weeks left of netball. Four matches, sorry, 11, 12, 13, and 14. Including one and, in Tasmania. And it's taking a pretty heavy toll. Um, we saw that the pies really got blown out against the Swifts on the weekend and, and fell off. And I spoke to Richo after the game and um, she was pretty devastated. And, and we'll bring you some of that audio now so that you can hear that in her voice as well. 
It's a tough one, you know. There's a lot going on in the background that we've got no control about. Um, what we can control is the performance that we put out on court. Um, and it's making sure that um, with everything that's going on, that as a group we stay connected and we stay united. And I think we did a really good job of doing that today. Um, you know, obviously just didn't get the result on the scoreboard that we would have liked. You know, we, we started well, we were competitive to start with and, you know, Helen goes nuts on the two-point two shot. So credit to Swifts, you know, we don't use the circumstances and, and what's going on in the background is an excuse for our performance today. Um, you know, just unable to play 60 minutes of netball and against a team like the Swifts, you need to make sure you can do that. And the comp competition's that close, that, you know, regardless of the opposition, if you don't play a competitive si si 60 minutes, teams are going to damage you on the scoreboard. So it's just a matter of staying connected, making sure we focus on the last month of netball and we enjoy doing what we do. Obviously, it's playing in the back of the minds of everyone and, you know, we started so strong. So, you know, once, once you get a, put under a bit of pressure on the court, um, you know, whether your mind starts to wander and things like that. But, um, you know, I thought credit to our group. I thought we came out strong. We were competitive in the first, first 20, 25 minutes um, and then we got destroyed in that two-point shot. So where we could have been going into half-time, half you know, with only five or six goals down, as I said, Helen went crazy in, in that time and that blew out. So, you know, that, that becomes deflating for the group. Um, you put that into also what we're trying to deal with away from the court. But, um, you know, we, we regrouped at half-time. Um, you know, our aim was then to come out in the second half and, and, and look to try to win the second half. And, you know, once Cal came on at the back end of that third quarter, you know, we were able to bridge that scoreline. I think we only went down by, you know, what it was, three or four. In that, yeah, so four goals in that, that second, that third quarter. So that's a good effort to refresh, regroup, and then come back out again. Um, and then we were pretty even for all but the last five minutes of the last quarter. So, and it blew out again. No, look, it's, it's, it's not going to get any easier. In fact, it's probably going to get harder. Um, but we've, we've still got a job to do. It's still our responsibility to get out there and perform. Um, we need to make sure we execute our base skills. We'll review this game like we do any other game um, and we'll continue to, to put our best foot forward and that's all that we can do and um, what will be, will be. Well, I guess that audio is uh, is something, right, isn't it? Yeah, she she's a bit of a broken woman. And honestly, understandable. Like, I guess we've just talked about time frames and how um, in order, f if Collingwood got dropped, in order for a new team to come, they'd need more time. But I, if, for the sake of the team, man, it would have been better if they found that out after the season. I feel like, like obviously, they don't have a chance at finals anymore. But it does really disrupt everyone's mindset when now you're essentially playing. Obviously, everyone was playing for a contract, given that everyone's contract is up. But if the team that you're with and you wanted to stay with doesn't exist anymore, you then have to start looking to other places. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one thing to be off contract and be an established star at the Vixens or the Swifts, where, you know, I'm reasonably confident that Liz Watson is going to sign another contract with the Vixens and reasonably confident that Maddie Proud will still be with the Swifts next year. I don't know how you say that about anyone at Collingwood. And I really feel for the people both on court and off court. I mean, there's a, a team that helps run this netball team at Collingwood and 
they are going through exactly the same thing as the players. And if anything, it's actually almost worse for them because at least the players can put out a performance that says that they should earn another contract. If you're, for example, a performance analyst or a social media team member, it's very hard to point to your performance and say, hey, you got to take me on this next franchise because your work isn't necessarily on show the same way. Um, yeah, exactly. It, I would say sort of like defunct netball team doesn't look great on the resume, even though I stand by the pies having like some of the best social media content. Um, absolutely. And yeah, you don't have the ability to showcase your skills and talents the same way if you're in a way from court role. Um, and it's really hard for all those people who also have their jobs up in the air and have to keep going about it as well. So in my heart certainly goes out to everyone at Collingwood who is going through a really rough stretch with this. Um, I can't imagine what that's like. And, you know, I just hope that it's resolved quickly, but I don't have high hopes that it's going to be resolved pretty either. No. And hopefully, you know, for the players in that team who make it into the Diamonds, most of it is sort of sorted out before they go onto this international, you know, games because I think no matter how much you put something out of your mind, your future is always going to be of some sort of stress to you. So it will be very difficult, I think, for them to sort of stay in the game and have the right mindset when they're worried about what's happening for them next season. Yes, but also... I'm less worried about the Diamonds players than someone else because at the end of the day, it would be one of the shocks of the decade if someone in the Diamonds didn't get a contract for next season. But if you're a player who's in the bottom half of a 10, you know, or, or someone who's like an elevated training partner, for an example, you're not sure if you're getting another contract next season and offers from England and New Zealand and everywhere else are going to start to look really good. If you're sitting in limbo because you can't negotiate with your team, you can't negotiate with any other team and you've got no idea when that's going to change. So as much for the players at the bottom and the players of the future, they're the ones who are going to be most affected by the delay in the CPA and the delay in sorting out the licenses. So it's really important for them as well. And it wasn't just Collingwood news that we had last week. So we also had after recording, um, God, it seems like longer ago than that, Netball Australia's annual uh, general meeting where the annual report was unveiled. And in that annual report, there were some really interesting numbers. And I had a whole article breakdown on the edge of the crowd.com for that. And then uh, we got our hands on the audited financial uh, reports, which are available through ASIC. Um, and I guess they revealed some things that weren't necessarily in the annual report, um, or some detail that kind of maybe wasn't clear or was missed, but there were some kind of interesting numbers across the two sets of financials that we'll call them. They're the same numbers, but presented in different ways. Um, so the headline numbers is that Netball Australia turned a $300,000 profit last year which is a $4.7 million swing from their $4.4 million loss in the previous year, which is great news. It means that at the end of the day, unlike 12 months ago, the auditors don't have a concern that the business is going to fold 
and is going to be able to make its debts when they're due. Yep. They've pushed out their bank loans to August 2025 instead of later this year, which also a big win. Gives them a bit of time to get their house in order. But there were some kind of interesting numbers that came out of it as well. So the way that the numbers are presented, Suncorp Super Netball made a $6 million loss as an exercise for Netball Australia last year. Now, sponsorship and broadcast revenue was recognized separately to that, which makes me think that the Suncorp sponsorship and the Fox broadcast for Super Netball were both separated out from Super Netball. Now, I had a whole Twitter thread on Friday night about why that matters, because I think it allows Netball Australia to, to go into these negotiations for TPAs with teams and CPA with players and say, Super Netball made a $6 million loss last year. We cannot afford to reduce the costs for the licenses for the teams, and we cannot afford to pay the players more. Those are really well i mean at the end of the day they're strong negotiating points because it's very hard for someone to turn around and say well hey you're making a whole lot of money we're not seeing enough of it filter down make sure it filters down because according to these numbers it's a six million dollar loss it's a sink there is no money and that's going to really shape the negotiations for the cpa and i think we could see a really short CPA as a result. Because if I was the Players Association and I saw those numbers, I'd say, right, you could have one year at our current rates because we're not getting a pay rise this run. But in 12 months, we want a new CPA and we're going to be asking for a 20% pay rise then. Or we're going to be asking for a 12%. We're going to be pushing for a pay rise then, A, in line with inflation over the last two years and B, in line with the fact that broadcast revenue has massively taken off and there is more money rolling around the sport. So if I was the players, I'd be then, looking to sign a 12-month CPA. Downside if anyone is, would like to contact Dan for advice, he, he knows his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> He's available. Not anyone's lawyer, but if you do reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram, I'm happy to discuss with you, especially if you're a player. Um, but... It's also tricky because it means that if they only sign a one-year CPA, in 12 months' time, we're going to be all at sea with every player off contract again. And that's a serious downside for players as well. A one-year CPA does have the benefit of also maybe it allows Collingwood to stay in for another year and you can dangle the new franchise and get it organized. But if you do that, it is going to be a miserable year at Collingwood because... If you think playing for a team that might have a future <laughs> is rough, playing for a team that definitely doesn't have a future is rough. <laughs> that would be sick, but not in like a cool, sick way and a like a sick in the head. To, oh, I, yeah, that would be awful. It's a possibility. And I think we need to prepare ourselves for the fact that Netball Australia strike a deal with Collingwood that says that Collingwood holds the license for another year. And in that 12 months, we'll get ourselves organized so that the new franchise can hit the ground running. But imagine being a player signing with Collingwood. That'd be hard. Yeah. You would have to just like make that your redemption season. You would have to just have the best season of your life, probably. Yeah. Imagine signing on to be a bench player. Oh. Because some players are going to do that. 
there's going to be like if that happens not everyone's signing on for a starting gig yeah that would be really really awful imagine signing on as a training partner but these are things that you know we'll probably talk about more in depth once we have a bit more certainty um one number that really jumped out to me on the annual report was that um because the annual report has the details of the broadcast deal. This was the first year of the Fox broadcast deal that these numbers referred to. In 2021, Channel 9 broadcasted 67 hours of netball, which works out at the half of the games that were not on the netball live app, about 15 minutes of coverage either side. Last year, Fox apparently broadcast 773 hours of super netball content. That is a 900% increase. Um, and now those numbers are a little bit generous because hours for a game and for a replay and for a mini are all counted separately, but it still shows a level of commitment by Fox under the new broadcast deal to really care about netball and make netball a tier one sport, which is what we wanted to see under this broadcast deal. And I don't think there is any way that you could turn around with that number and say that the first year of the broadcast deal was not a massive success. For sure. And we were talking earlier just about that for the next um, report, this number will probably be a little bit lower just because some content has become shorter or doesn't exist anymore. But regardless, it'll still be a lot more than 67 hours. Yeah, I think it'll come in in the like mid 600s. Yeah, which is very respectable. Um, and it's important that that number, according to the Super, the uh, Netball Australia reports, is for Super Netball broadcast hours. It doesn't include diamonds. It doesn't include ANC. It doesn't include the fact that you can get VNL and New South Wales Prem on KO as well. Um, and that's the kind of support that Tier 1 sports get from Fox, that you know VFL, VFLW, AFL Sydney is broadcast under the AFL deals as well netball's getting the same treatment and that's really good to see some numbers that did pop out in the deep dive to me um netball, super netball expenses were about four million dollars higher this year than in 20 last year than in 2021 which surprised me given that 2022 didn't have a hub or you know anything like that um and still contribute to a massive loss which is a bit of an issue and I'm really curious as to what that $4 million accounts for. There isn't detail on that in the annual report and I really wouldn't expect that either. Um, <laughs> it's not a bank statement. It's an annual report. Who got a car this year? <laughs> and according to um, the annual report, the sponsorship money that made up almost 50% of Netball Australia's revenue does not include that Visit Victoria sponsorship with Dan Andrews signed off late last year. Um, that's a January 1, 2023 start. So we'll see that reflected in this coming financial report, but not in those numbers. Um, obviously, they missed the revenue target and a big chunk of that is the uh, well-publicized incident with Hancock prospecting, which would have kicked in in Q4 instead of 2023, which is what the Visit Victoria one did. But interestingly, $1 million of sponsorship money was actually sponsorship in kind. So that's benefits that aren't financial. For example, 
and I don't know the specifics, that might be that if Nissan is a sponsor, there might be cars. Or if the sponsor is Suncorp, there might be insurance policies that carry value. And a million dollars of that asset, those were recognized as revenue, which Nepal Australia is well within their rights to do. There's no suggestion that that's a shady practice at all in the reporting. But when you record a $300,000 profit and a million dollars is recorded as revenue in kind, um, from a cash flow perspective, you actually made more of a loss than that. Um, especially with the intangible asset write-off of a million dollars as well. Um, and that's also, you know, good accounting practice and good general business practice, but write off a million dollars of digital assets. Um, I think that's probably related to the old Netball Live app, um, which obviously is defunct now that KO is on board, but there was no goodwill recognized in the business. and. I know I'm very much deep down the corporate finance hole mm -hmm. at this point, but when a business doesn't carry goodwill, it means that there's nothing intangible in the business that you can trade off brand name and recognition and things like that, that kind of you recognize that there's a residual value, even if it's not monetary. So that's the kind of thing that can't be sold. You can't sell goodwill to another business, um, but it can exist within your business as an asset. So is that that's something like, a brand name that's something like trademarks that um or not trademarks because that's actually strictly ip but kind of the recognition of your brand if you're a marketing company that might be your reach um and so to not recognize any goodwill as an asset bit of a flag just as an mm. interesting point to notice and in the last finance the last reporting year there was half a million dollars spent on strategy and governance seems like more money than I was expecting. I think some of that is to do with defense related to the private equity bid that came through in the middle of last year. Some of that is also probably in the state of the game review yep. that has finally been published, but it's a lot of money in a business that isn't making much. Yes, it'll be interesting to see <laughs> what it'll be next year after the sort of admin issues they've had this season. And now that I've talked to you, you're off Ariana. Do you have any questions? Because we put out a call on social media and the only question that we got in response was from Steph asking about my personal life, which I will not be <laughs> answering on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know I said I'd have questions, but I already asked. Oh, I do find it interesting that it was about $4 million more yeah, for expenses what is the total of that if it's four million more last year how much is that and um, yeah obviously obviously they don't have to tell us where that's going but would any of that be because of like the fox content they were putting out like do they need to fly people somewhere do they need to get people at their hometowns so they can do a spiel about netball and French. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know whether that sort of expense that kind of relates to Fox would be yeah, in a Fox money because there is also um, expenses recognized with sponsorship and commercial. Right. Um, but looking at it, the... Uh, let me find the expenses in the report, sorry. Um, 
the uh, nope that's assets sorry we're getting there would um, team travel expenses be under that or do the teams themselves pay for that so, so i don't know it's not entirely clear that's something that would be governed by the t the team participation agreements right. which we don't have yeah um someone please leak them to <laughs> i think that would be illegal yeah that would be um pretty naughty so we won't actually ask for people to leak that to us but if we look at the expenses um super netball cost uh 10 and a bit million dollars last year up from 6.1 million dollars in 2021 so it's almost 50% like yeah 40. i mean it's a, it's a massive jump because um, like four million is like oh yeah that's a lot of money but when you put it percentage wise it's like oh that really is quite the increase yeah i mean it is a, a pretty big jump um and you know maybe that's may, maybe there's a really good reason for that but it's not itemized in a way that we can really easily see how that's the case um i think the other thing that kind of didn't bother me, but I was a little bit surprised by is that there's no itemization about sponsorship and broadcast revenue. So we've got uh, $18.8 million recognized as sponsorship and broadcast revenue over the last year. We've got 3.1 million in super netball revenue, but how much of that 18.8 is related to the super netball brand and might be related to that? We don't know. We don't have any details of, and you know, we just kind of have to, wait and see how it, it turns out. But um, that was a surprising one. I was kind of hoping to see a bit more of an itemization about that. It is really hard to sort of compare all of this to sort of other national netball sort of, <laughs> like obviously like, oh, they've lost this much money. They've lost this much money. They've made this much. But it is really hard, at least I find, to look at it without sort of knowing like what the what the going rate for things would be like how much does it cost to generally fund like it's the best domestic competition in the world so obviously you can't compare how much money you know in New Zealand they're putting in how much money in England they're putting in but just compare that Collingwood Football Club which covers the AFL the AFLW, the VFL, the VFLW, the wheelchair football team, and Super Netball. So all of that club turned a $7.1 million profit last year, which is 2,200% of what Netball Australia turned as a profit. And their net assets are not even this. So Colleague would have $49 million in net assets. A good chunk of that is the sizable chunk of land that they hold in Collingwood. But, oh. which, you know, is nice for them. But Netball Australia holds about $450,000 in assets. And no land in Collingwood. <laughs> which is a much smaller percentage. Yeah, right. So it's, it's hard to compare across Netball leagues. But when you compare the fact that it probably costs $2 billion a year to run a Super Netball team, and that's how much it costs to run a club. Um, you know, you've got some interesting numbers there. Yeah. 
but we'll move closer to the court. We'll do a little bit of news related to netballers rather than news related to netball. Um, Cause it's come out this week that Rani Samerson will not be back during the super netball season with her undisclosed leg injury that we still have no details about whatsoever. Um, Maybe they don't really know. <laughs> I think they do know. And I think that they knew from the beginning that she wasn't going to be right. My guess is that actually we, that net, the Vixens have known since late in the preseason that Rani wasn't going to be available this year. And, it means that she's played about eight games under this current CPA, which is really disappointing for her. Um, it would have been mm. great to see her really break out. And the fact that she has struggled with injuries through the entirety of these two years has been really tough. Um, the only player who I think has been contracted for the full two years who's played less is Sam Wallace, mm-hmm. who obviously got three quarters in um, before she tore the ligaments in her knee. Um but it's it's tough to to see that for Rani, and hopefully she's on the men soon. And um, I wonder whether it it'll hurt the Vixens in the long run that um, they haven't really had their first choice third shooter all season, and whether they're surviving with Kim Borgia and who hasn't anyone else who they use anyway. No, right? she has. She has Ooh. got on court now. She did get on court a couple of weeks ago when I want to say it was Kira Austin left the court for. A couple like a of minutes. So maybe it was Kumwenda for, for a couple of minutes just yeah. to get like some tape sorted or something. <laughs> right. Uh, Kim Borgia did get on court though. Right. I'm sorry, I stand corrected. <laughs> and I guess the other piece of news is that uh Chiva Mentor will be retiring from international netball after the Netball World Cup. She's had her agent already put out that she's planning on playing on domestically going forward, but um it's a very decorated process career that she has made to this point. What I do find interesting with this Collingwood sort of issue, if Collingwood uh, ceases to exist by the end of the year, will Jeeva sort of be forced out of the SSN? Or do you think someone will pick her up? I mean, if I was setting up a team on really short notice... Mm. There's some merit to having a really experienced leader at your back end who, you know, allows you to survive a year while you get your pathway in order. True. While you get a chance to recruit some young players. And maybe you pick Jeeva up and say, hey, one year, can you do it? Let's get it going. I mean, and then, you know, there was obviously something in the fact that she has played both for the Pies and the Lightning now who are, you know, the, the babies of the tournament. I, well, she hasn't played for the Giants. Maybe she needs to go to the Giants and then whatever new team, and then she can just say she helped birth every single team. I can't imagine her going to the Giants. No, I can't think so. I think they're quite happy with their trio of Brandley, Moore, and McDonald, and the long-term duo that is uh, Moore and McDonald. I think. Yeah, for sure. But should we talk some actual netball on court, Ariana? Yes. You had a very exciting weekend, two days in a row of netball. And a grand total of 35 goals margined between the two. <laughs> Not that anyone's counting or anything. <laughs> oh my it's gosh. fair to say that the result was pretty clear on both of them. I mean, the Giants, it was probably two, three minutes to go. The Swiss Pies, it was 
probably two or three minutes to go in the first half. I knew it was coming. (laughs) (laughs) They're really not having a good time. I, I think one thing that really stood out to me about the differences of the matches and you know, we'll talk about the tactics and, and what happened on court, but Charlie Bell had what can only be called the young player's worst nightmare, where with about 70 seconds to go, she was fed the ball in super shot and her mind too quickly turned to shooting it and she dropped the pass and it was turned over and the Swifts punished the lightning and uh, sorry, the Giants punished the lightning. And instead of her making the super shot and it turning into a two goal game, it was back to a six goal game. No. <laughs> and what I watched afterwards from the Lightning was that in the two minutes after the game, no less than seven players from the organization or seven people from the organization, including two assistant coaches, both the other shooters, Annie Miller, you know, the whole club wrapped their arms around Charlie. Oh. Basically, before she sat down on the bench afterwards, Everyone who could get to her had got to her, given her a hug, told her it was going to be all right. And I think that was really, really clear that, you know, this is a young player who's been through a hell of a lot. Um, as Belinda Reynolds talked about in her post game afterwards, the funeral for Charlie's late father was on Tuesday last week and she wanted to play well for her dad. And obviously that fumble had really cast a pull over what was a pretty good outing in her time on court. But the way that the team wrapped their arms around her was a really strong show of care from the Lightning. And I just compare it to the way that the Pies looked starting out the fourth quarter was almost like they didn't want to be there anymore. And it was kind of a, a survival moment where, you know, they they were all just trying to get through it and they each gone into their own place to do it. And it was a really interesting difference. And I'm not criticizing the pies because if I was in that situation, I don't think I could have done any better. But the impact of the review at Collingwood is so clear. And I think even before, I think there have been disconnection problems at Collingwood at times this year. Um, And I can't see them doing the same thing where they wrap their arms around a play in the same way. But it was just a really stark contrast between the two sides on the weekend. Hmm. But um, we might talk about the Giants because um, the Amy Parmenter bandwagon is filling up, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> you've been you've been at the front of that bandwagon for a while now, and people are definitely getting on board. I think you're going to need a bigger bus. Lots of friends on that bus. Lots That's of friends nice. on that bus. Now. <laughs> Palmy had another phenomenal game. She went through three wing attacks, uh, Sherry and Wood and Miller. She beat them all. <laughs> Just another day as Amy Palmer. <laughs> I mean, she had a phenomenal game. And if it's not enough to get her on the plane to South Africa, then nothing will be. Yeah, get, get her on. At this, like, honestly, I'd take her over Browse. Me too. And I think, you know, as hard as it is, you look at the form of the two of them and one of them is in the form of their lives and maybe the best wing defense on the planet. And one of them is not. Plain and simple, like 
Braz just looks a step slower than Palmy. She doesn't have the same form. And I think that if you want to win the World Cup, you have to take players who are in form. Yeah. And even behind her, Lauren Moore had another really strong game. Um, she's turned into the goalkeeper that I think the Giants thought they were signing up for when they signed her across from the Swifts. She obviously had COVID issues last year, battling long COVID for most of the season really affected that ability. But this year we've seen what I think the Giants had envisioned. And I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of the season, April Brownlee moves on, Tila McDonald moves into a starting goal defense bib. And now you've got a really young, tenacious defensive end that could be the kind of pillars of, of the team for a very long time in the same way that, you know, Lauren Moore knows really well from her Swiss days with Turner and Clow, who've been pillars of the Swiss for two day for a decade. Definitely. I do have a real soft spot for like a, a package deal, a little duo in a in a team. It's like, oh, you can't you can't go past it. When two players just work together so well, Chef's kiss. So that was really exciting. And I think, you know. The Giants are still a mathematical chance, but two games in a row for Matisse Leatherbarrow. The second where she played like a proper goal shooter where she took a really high volume of shots. We've seen that really up to now when she's played full games of Super Netball, she's kind of split the shooting load evenly with Sophie Dwyer and then gone nuts in the super shot period. But this was a game where she held up against the post all day. She took a much higher volume of shots and it was a kind of coming of age for her and um, she was really happy with that after the game. I got the chance to speak to her, but I think also Ooh. Julie Fitz was very happy with that. Yeah, she's definitely going in leaps and bounds this year, um, which is very exciting in terms of, well, Joe Harden probably doesn't have that much longer at the Giants, but they probably don't have anything really to worry about if they can hold on to their... They're going to have a very young uh, shooting end and a very young defence end. And that's really exciting. It is. And speaking of exciting, um, Emily Mannix's performance on the weekend can only be described as exciting or magnificent, I think, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, so I was up, I was at one end of the court. Um, a lot of that was when she was, I guess, popping off and <laughs> the people around me were going feral. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I think this is where we should probably throw to Steph for her uh, contribution uh, of yeah. the night. She sent one to you, Ariana, didn't she? She's. <laughs> I was wearing Thunderbirds merch, so I was. I didn't really mind who won, but it was a, it was a sad, a sad sort of crowd for me. But Steph um, said, when they look up the word demolish in the dictionary, they should have a video of the Vixens against T Birds tonight. Ouchie. I want to Thank say... Thank you, Steph, for that <laughs> contribution. <laughs> oh, I'm not... I'm not... <laughs> Thank you, Steph. I wish you were here. Um, I'm not that superstitious, but I did unintentionally miss the first quarter, and I think things really turned around for the Vixens after I entered the stadium, so you're welcome. <laughs> you're not going this weekend, are you? No. Will this be the weekend that Swiss break the John Kane hoodoo? Ooh. That would be a bit I, exciting. In front of a sold-out crowd, though. 
Mm. They don't mind. They don't mind a big crowd. They've done RAC Arena where they won this year, and they love Ken Rosewall. Like they don't mind a crowd. True. Yeah. But, oh, the crowd would just be silent. As much as there were some standout players for the Vixens, like Hannah Mundy and Emily Mannix, I think the star of this show was Simone McInnes. <laughs> because this was a, a the Vixens just outplayed, outthought, and kind of outworked the T-Birds this weekend. The T-Birds had no right, so they didn't have a a plan B that looked like changing things up and working. They didn't have a an alternative to go to. And I think you've got to give credit to McInnes for that, for creating a game plan that was so effective that, you know, turn the T-Birds back to 2018, 2019, 2020 T-Birds. Not even last year where they were showing flashes, but this year where... <laughs> Sad factories where they were really you know bottom of the ladder yes struggling to get the ball into the circle struggling to to get the ball up the court um they really it was a real reversion back and i guess we've talked about some concerns over the last few weeks about the t-birds and are they running out of puff did they peak too early if people keep getting injured then maybe that is true that there should be at least a note that uh, yes. Tiffa Dwan and Hannah Petty were out. Which really um, does mess up sort of their attacking end when you have to get Georgie Hodges, who, you know, has done goal attack, when, but is now normally a wing attack. It probably doesn't work as well when you get her to come into the circle. Although it was really nice to see her and Lucy play together in the circle. That was quite sweet. It was, but there have been other sides this year that have missed. I mean, the Giants have missing Joe Hart, who is without a doubt their most important linchpin from a morale perspective and a leadership perspective. And they kind of held their structure better. Um, mm. And I think but it's I a think, concern for the T-Birds. I think part of it is because those teams, like the next best option for those positions is generally on the bench, whereas the next best option for the Thunderbirds is normally already on court. So then you just have to switch yeah. up. I feel like, like, obviously it's not an excuse, but I think when you have to do a bigger change than just like omitting one person, I think that can make it more difficult with set plays and stuff like that. Yeah, it definitely feels like they lose not just what G uh, Georgie can't do that Tipper can in goal attack, but also then what you lose from not having Georgie in the attack. Yeah, exactly. But the Vixens are firing. <laughs> and this weekend they meet the Swifts who... I thought when I left the Swifts game on the weekend, that was going to be the most impressive thing I saw this weekend. 85 goals and they blew away the Magpies. Paige Hadley had more than 150 net points. Um, and I really, I thought that was going to be like the best thing we saw all weekend. It was a really strong performance. The Swifts were utterly dominant from really halfway through the second quarter when they went on a 17 to four run mm. at that point um colin would call the timeout and briny akel just sat on the bench as her players <laughs> had a basically had a water break because <laughs> when you're on a 17 to four run i don't know what you need to change up and talk so with 29 seconds left in the timeout briny got up spoke to them for seven seconds and left the huddle again 
Great job, guys. Love your work. <laughs> I'm going to go see you. 17 to 4. What do you need to say? Like, yeah, great job. Keep it up. Yeah. Um, I think one of the big talking points out of this match for me was um, in the first quarter, Maddie Proud had a pretty big collision with Sophie Garvin. Yes. And it took, and Maddie said after the game herself that she thought she was fine and she didn't have to come off, but it took Bryony Akel going up to the referee, to the umpires and saying, Maddie needs a head assessment. Talking to the reserve umpire, Maddie needs a head assessment. In the meantime, the play that Maddie was injured on finished in a goal. And then there was another center pass and goal before they pulled Maddie Proud off. Now, there's a very big contrast, I feel like. There's a hit I've watched on someone else and they were like, immediately off, get her off. Not for Maddie Proud, but for someone else. Whereas it just doesn't feel like it's consistent. And that's not good. But I mean, it would have been 17 or 18 seconds from Bryony Akel getting up to the umpires and saying, Maddie needs a head assessment before Maddie actually came off the court. And mm. like I get if there's a moment in time, like I don't know how the umpires missed the collision. And given how long Proud stayed down, I would have expected that she'd be dragged off pretty much straight away. Yeah. But it still shouldn't take 17 seconds or however long it was. Yeah. Um, and then seven minutes later, Maddie was back on the bench. She clipped the wing attack bib on. Um, and got ready to come back on seven mm. minutes after the hit. She didn't come on for another seven minutes after that. So it was 14 minutes all up. But I can tell you, because I was sitting in the stadium, from the time she returned to the bench, she didn't get any more treatment, any more assessment. Mm. It was just about how long they wanted to wait to get her on court. Right. It wasn't that, you know, she did half of it in the tunnel and half it back out. After seven minutes, she was back to play. And then it was just about getting her on court. Let's hope she doesn't have a delayed concussion. Well, I mean, talking to Maddie after the game, she said that she'd stayed on because she thought she was fine. That's why she didn't yeah. immediately come to the sideline. And then she'd been through the protocols with the Swiss doctor and she'd cleared them all. And that's why she'd returned. And I have no trouble believing Maddie. I think 100% she was telling the truth. Yeah, because as a player, like, I think now, because we're so aware of what concussions can do for you in the long term, most players are probably pretty good at being like, hey, I'm not okay. I really want us to win, but I need to look after myself here. But even so, I I think it does raise questions about the protocols because when you look at the football codes and it's basically 20 minutes to complete the head assessment at a minimum. And mm. it's very rare that a player passes within sort of 16, 17, 18 minutes. Maddie Proud was already back on court by then. She'd been cleared 10, 11 minutes faster than that. And I mean, I know Netball Australia says that their policies are in line with best practice, but there are concussion experts like Dr. Alan Pierce who disagree. And I think one of the priorities for this offseason should be a long, hard look at that concussion policy because it's been tested a few times this year and players have returned very quickly. And it would shock me if that was best practice, given that everyone else seems to take a lot longer to get them done. Yes. Unfortunately for netball, the thing with the AFL or like rugby concussion tests, they have sort of more time in the game. So it's not as impactful if you have to spend 20 minutes out of the game 
but obviously it's not about the mm. game and winning it. It's about the health of the players. The flip side is that in those matches, interchange is much more important. You see a lot more changes on and off and having a player down on the bench makes a much bigger impact than in Super Bowl, where actually teams don't always interchange in a whole game at all. Yeah. If you've subbed a player out, it's not like you're playing at a disadvantage. Mm. Let's let's get it right. Unfortunately, I don't think the priority will be concussion policy over the offseason because I have a feeling it will be setting up a new team, signing a CPA, and organizing all the players for the next year. Oh, just, what? just a few things. <laughs> just a few things on the list. It's fine. What? <laughs> and then, of course, afterwards, we have the game that actually was the scariest thing anyone saw on an Apple court this weekend. <laughs> and that was the 97 goals by the West Coast Fever in their 34 goal win over the Firebirds, which is also the biggest margin ever, as well as the biggest score ever. Sasha Glasgow had 14 super shots, which is the most ever. She had 165 net net points, which is the most ever. And I mean, I feel like just rattling off all the records kind of sums up what we saw because there's clinical, there is seamless, there is perfect netball. And then there is whatever the hell that was from the FIFA. <laughs> yes. Like two of their quarters, they almost got he goals at quarter, which is like oh. someone did point out that the West Coast Fever have now outscored the West Coast Eagles the last four weeks. Sorry, Eagles fans. <laughs> hey, change to netball. <laughs> hey, how about what about netball? <laughs> Unfortunately, Collingwood can't say the same. Otherwise, you know, that would be a great tag. But oh. <laughs> but it was it was the kind of performance from the Thiever that no one will be forgetting anytime soon. No, I watched part of it and I was just sort of sitting I'm like, yes, it was a good show, but near the end it was kind of just like, oh, there's just no there's no chance they're getting I just couldn't watch it anymore. <laughs> there's no chance. I like close games generally. So as fun as it is to watch a team getting absolutely blown out, um, it also hurt a little bit. But I, I kind of think that the Firebirds did do a lot wrong. Like no. 63 goals was a better effort than most teams put out this weekend. <laughs> yeah, it's not a low-scoring a low-scoring game by any means. I mean, Courtney Bruce had 12 gains, but it didn't feel like they were throwing the ball to her, just that she was having one of those days. Mm. Um, and I think actually the Firebirds probably take some positives out of the fact that they still put up 63 goals and, you know, it 34 goals is a lot, but it wasn't like they fell apart and put 39 on the board. That was someone else this weekend. Oh, yeah, it, like, obviously it's a big difference, but I think it's a bit deceiving in terms of, like, when you're watching it, it's like, oh, they're playing really crap. It's just the fever of playing really good. It just they took it to a level that we've never seen in Super Netball. And I can say that because the numbers say that we've never seen that. Yeah. Maybe their little um, halftime ritual or... Pre- pre-game ritual with the 
seance or whatever they're doing is working. Mm. I think it's survivor themed and um, I guess someone probably should have told the firebirds that they need to survive that because. Yeah, maybe they need like one of those immunity, (laughs) (laughs) immunity totems. Firebirds, you have been voted off the island. Yeah. And uh, we'll look ahead to this weekend. It's the first of two Indigenous rounds. Um, So we've got the Lightning, T-Birds, Vixens and Giants at home and all eight teams wearing Indigenous-inspired dresses. Um, And they look fantastic. Um, Have we got all of them now? We have got all of them now. Um, Erin Delahunty has a lovely thread with all eight of them. Oh, um, if you want them all in one place, or you can go through all eight clubs if you want to give them some social media traffic too. Um, but that is the eight super netball dresses. And we've got Lightning versus Pies to kick off the weekends, T-Birds versus Fever in Netball South Australia Stadium on Saturday night. Then on Sunday, we have the Vixens taking on the Swifts at a sold-out John Kane Arena where they are undefeated this year. And are wrapping up the weekend in the coldest place on earth, Ken Rosewall Arena, where the Giants take on the Firebirds. We might do a bit of a popcorn for this weekend because I feel like we've been sitting chatting for a decent while now. Um, yeah. Any thoughts on the weekend? Uh, Pies could get another um, another loss in a row. And because uh, T-Birds are the first team to beat the Fever, Got that home home court advantage. Knock on wood, hope everyone is better. Could be another another win, which would be very exciting. It'd be quite the turnaround to go from the lowest scoring <laughs> team last weekend to beating the highest score team that had the highest score ever. But they can do it. I mean, we, we know they can beat the fever. Um and they've got the players to do it if they're all fit and healthy so that could be a really interesting one yes i'm interested to see if the swiss can break the john kane fortress this weekend um you would love that of all things i would but and i think the swifts are the team to do it because they play well in rac arena which is a really hostile environment yes they play in a loud ken rosewall arena most weeks and they match up pretty well against the Vixens. Um, I mean, they're ahead of them on the ladder, so... But also, player by player, they've got diamonds in the right spot. They've got talent in the right spots to to actually kind of test them. I think we'll see Liv Lewis a bit this weekend against Ramel Derek and George. Oh, for sure. That's a, a good matchup for them. Despite the fact that Emily Maddox played the house down last weekend, I think we'll see a decent dose of Liv Lewis. Um, the Vixens are spoiled for choice between those two. I mean, yeah, I just they can just bring one out for certain people, bring the other one out for certain people, and it works so well. And if Ali Smith's back, she could get a little bit of time in goal defense against Kira Austin as well, I think, because that's a decent matchup as well. But I was looking at my matchup of the round, and I've kind of gone with do you have so many Every, i've gone with a, like a big stretch because it's so not, kind of I, like all the players against the other i don't know exactly how they're going to match up but the yes. forward half of the midcourt for the swift so the page hadley maddie proud combo against 
the combo of Liz Watson, Kate Maloney, Kate Eddie, however they line up. Or Weston. I don't think we'll see Weston given one, she's going to have to mind Helen Housby this weekend. It's her turn to look after Helen. um, She does better against the kind of bigger wing attacks rather than the speedy ones. And yeah, on the speedy side. She's so speedy. Um, so I think we'll see a combo of Maloney and Kate Eddie in wing defense. Nice. And Watson and Maloney in center. And I think that matchup of diamond on diamonds is going to be a really interesting one this weekend. Just a bit of yeah. practice for when they're doing their trials, maybe. Well, they're, they're coming off some really hot form because mm. Hadley was in incredible form last week and Proud was good too. And Watson and Maloney had really strong bounce backs after getting handed to by the T-Birds the first time around. <laughs> but realistically, I think that only two, maybe three of these are going to Netball World Cup. Yeah. And these spots, like matches like this are going to decide the spots, I think. True. So I'll be curious to see how that plays out. I think uh, Giants Firebirds would be an interesting one if Joe Harton's not back and the Giants last weekend were optimistic that she would be back but if she's not playing against the dynamic duo that is Carlo and Bakewell Thorne it'll be a really interesting challenge for Leather Barrow and Dwight because they're oh. not a typical combo that's that's a fun duo matchup that's that a very fun duo matchup oh and if the Giants want any chance at finals, they're just hanging on a little bit. They have to win. And they have to win well. They have to kind of yeah. boost their percentage a bit to to get back up into the finals race. Yeah, they basically need um, a repeat of what happened to the Firebirds. <laughs> the way Matisse led the barrow, and I, I wrote in my notes on Saturday, Matisse, what, like it's hard, Leather Barrow, <laughs> after the first quarter when she bombed four super shots. And then in the third quarter, I had Matisse, don't give a fuck, Leather Barrow, because <laughs> she turns and shoots. Really, really good note. <laughs> I mean, the way that she shoots and then just looks like, well, yeah, I was going to do that. I'm a goal shooter. Uh, like, duh. What, like it's is, hard? It's really <laughs> impressive. <laughs> Um, yeah. So I think it could be a really fun weekend of netball. I hope that it is a closer weekend of netball because the <laughs> cumulative margin in the 60s was uh, not something I was keen on. Actually, I think it's it's more than that. It's a cumulative margin in the 90s. And I wasn't ready for that last weekend. So um, no. please, Super Netball, be closer this weekend. <laughs> um, please. <laughs> Um, do better <laughs> but it, it should be a fun weekend of netball and i think by the time we sit down to record next week we will have an answer on collingwood as well so that will be one to watch um so there is a fair bit happening we are sort of expecting that this week aren't we we were expecting it before we recorded we were expecting True. the next seven days from last tuesday so any day now but um your guess is as good as mine Oh, sorry. I thought they'd given us a timeline. They're like, we'll let you know by the end of the week. But in the meantime, you can follow us along wherever we are. Ariana, where is that for you? Um, some Twitter and sometimes Instagram. Well, I am on Instagram, but like 
not that much netball stuff. It is at Ariana SVRS. And Dan, how about you with your hot Twitter takes? You can find me at Decoppel for long Twitter threads about financial analysis in sport and corporate governance in sport. Um, also occasionally takes about things that are happening on court. Um, but yeah, that's at Decoppel. And you can find all of our stuff at Over a Third Pod on Insta and Twitter. Um, and all of our stuff on the Edge of the Crowd website, which is edgeofthecrowd.com. And that will include a weekend wrap up and probably a financial recap of some kind. Um, hopefully that'll be up about when this episode goes up. Um, so that's something to check out as well. And as news filters in, we'll continue to have more information. Um, that'll be through both Twitter and Instagram feeds and probably on the website as well. So stay tuned for all of that. Um, that's at edgeofthecrowd.com or at edgeofthecrowd, wherever you get your social media fix. In the meantime, um, we hope you enjoy all of our stuff at Over a Third Pod. We'd love if you can give us a rating on whatever podcast platform you listen to us to. Chuck us a follow and hopefully we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening and enjoy your weekend.